Well, happy end of the week to you. Welcome to the five-day reading plan podcast. I'm your host, Lance Ward, and I will be walking us through some highlights of this week's readings. And always remember, you can download a copy of this reading plan in the description of this podcast, and you can also find it at 5daybiblereading.com. Week 47 is where we are, and if you're listening to this on a regular calendar and you started in January, we are approaching the Thanksgiving season, and this week's readings will be Ezra 1 through 4, Haggai, Zechariah 1 through 8, Psalms 92, 93, and 138. We finished up John in verse or chapter 21, and we started 1 John and read the first four chapters of that great epistle. In Ezra, the times of Ezra have been a long time coming. God's people have experienced what the Lord prophesied, exile. But now they are returning to the homeland. And though burnt offerings resume in Jerusalem after a few months, there's no temple. So soon after, a rebuilding resumes to cries of great joy. We also see sorrow, though, as the elders who had once seen its glory know that it may never return to that. What a devastating sight this must have been for them. Like we will see in Nehemiah in the rebuilding of the wall, plans to rebuild the temple meet fierce opposition, though, and building ceases, prompting rebuke and instruction from the prophets Haggai and Zechariah. After some strong words of rebuke from the Lord in Haggai 1, he speaks again through the prophet in chapter 2, urging especially the older discouraged people to continue work on his temple. Be strong, he says, for I am with you, a common theme that runs throughout this redemption story of the Bible. There is perhaps no greater comfort from our Creator and Redeemer than the fact that we are not alone, that He is with us, especially in the hard things. And then he gives them a vision in chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, a vision of His future glory. Times like this would not last forever. If they would obey the Lord, He Himself would reestablish His glory in the land. Zechariah starts much like Haggai, but perhaps one of the most beautiful word pictures of grace and redemption comes in chapter 3, where Joshua, the high priest, stands before God, accused by the enemy of being unworthy due to his sin. His accusations, true as they may be, however, are met by a gracious God, telling the angel to remove Joshua's filthy garments and then to replace them with clean robes and a holy turban. In reclothing Joshua, God doesn't just stop at removing Joshua's sin. He replaces it with holiness and righteousness, an obvious preview of what will be coming with the coming branch mentioned in verse 8, and that this branch will accomplish what he will accomplish for all of us who trust in him, having our sins taken away and his righteousness put in their place. In Christ, this story reminds us we are not just forgiven, we are clothed in His righteousness, so that when God sees us who are in Christ, He sees the righteousness of Christ, something the enemy has no answer to. One of Scripture's repeated themes is what I would call alignment with God and His ways. We see this in Luke as John the Baptist calls for repentance and the people ask, what does this look like? What what fruit comes with repentance? John's answers are all about treating others the way God treats us. Be generous to those who lack. Don't take more than you should from others. Don't extort others. We see a similar theme in Micah 6.8 where he says, Do justly to others. Be merciful to others. 
And here in Zechariah 7, 8 through 10, we see this similar theme again. What should we do? Speak truth to others. Don't plot against your neighbor. Do not love perjury. We might mistakenly see this as works righteousness, but if that is the case, why does the theme run throughout Scripture? Perhaps because at the end of the day, what God asks of us is to simply align ourselves with His character. This is the true evidence of a heart bent toward Him. We are not to be self-centered, but those who love our neighbors, who deny ourselves, and who serve others. Whenever God's people go wrong, the fruit almost always includes self-love rather than neighbor love, selfishness rather than sacrifice. In the next chapter, Zechariah 8.8 8 reminds me of Revelation 21, 1-4 and 2 Peter 3, where God brings his people back to a new Jerusalem where he dwells and where righteousness reigns. That is ultimately where things will end up, and that is where our ultimate hope lies. Psalm 92, 1 and 2 might make for a brief yet comforting start and end to each day. It says this, It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praise to the Most High, to declare your faithful love in the morning and your faithfulness at night. In other words, the faithfulness of our God takes no breaks. He is faithful in the morning. He is faithful in the deeps of the night. His love and faithfulness go around the clock without fail. What a great truth to remind ourselves of as the sun rises or as the night comes upon us, especially in the hard times and in the face of enemies, a situation which is likely a common part of this psalmist's life, as we see in verses 6 through 11. Psalm 93 is one of those psalms where I simply wrote brief descriptions of God in the margins of my Bible. Some of these descriptions included, He is infinitely strong. He is gloriously majestic. He is eternal and undying. He is praised by his creation. And finally, he's fully reliable, just like Psalm 92 said. If you started this plan in January, Psalm 138 is appropriately timed for what's just around the corner, the Thanksgiving season. Notice what David thanks the Lord for here. As I thank the Lord for turkey and stuffing and all that good stuff, which is not always a bad idea, David thanks the Lord for these things, his his constant love and truth, his promise-keeping nature, that he makes and keeps good promises. He thanks God for answering him when he cries out and for giving him strength in such times when he felt weak. And he concludes with the common biblical theme, your faithful love endures forever. This sounds to me like an excellent guide for our own personal thanksgivings, whether in November or any time of the year. The final chapter of John's Gospel contains several interesting flashbacks at Jesus' work in the Gospels as some of his closest friends decide to go fishing a few days after his resurrection. First of all, we see a miraculous catch of fish coming after a night of no catch. Then a stranger on the shore tells the men to cast their nets on the right side. Sure enough, there are suddenly too many fish to pull in. The same story Luke records in another time. Peter's response to this, knowing not who this stranger is, is this. It is the Lord. He's seen this before. Then, like he did when Jesus came walking on water, Peter leapt out of the boat. There's no walking on water this go-round, but you can just feel Peter's excitement to see his risen Lord and friend, can't you? If you're like me, you can hear the water splashing furiously as Peter makes his way from a hundred yards out 
to the shore. <clears throat> and then when the disciples arrive, they see the master cooking fish for them, and he politely invites them to breakfast. They couldn't catch any fish, but here's this carpenter, this landlubber on the shore, who already has his own fish. How in the world did that happen? Well, it is Jesus, a man known to provide food when none seemed available. And then there's the smell of this scene. John tells us it was by a charcoal fire. You know, there's only one other time this word is used in John. There's only one other time it's used in the entire New Testament, and it's in John, this term, charcoal fire. Do you remember when it was? It was the smell in the air when Peter denied Jesus three times. So in turn, around this same smell, around the same fragrance, Jesus asks Peter three times if he loves him. And I wonder if this is not Jesus' way of saying, Peter, I forgive you for as many times as you denied me. And for as many times as you denied me, I, I reestablish our relationship. On the night of his betrayal, Peter must have thought that that would be the last thing his friend would ever hear him say. But post-resurrection, Peter would say, I love you for every time he previously said, I don't even know this man. That is the grace of God. As we started 1 John this week, you probably recognize several well-known ideas repeated over and over that John repeats over and over in his gospel. Themes like light, love, truth, sin, forgiveness, the word of God, the world, knowledge of God abiding in God, an eternal life. In my most re recent reading of 1 John, I noticed something I'd never thought of before. Many of these ideas are also strong themes in the upper room discourse seen only in John's gospel. <clears throat> now it's years, maybe decades later when John writes this, and one thing we can say about him, he never forgot Jesus's words from that very night. He cherished them, he hung on to them, and allowed the teachings of Jesus on that fateful night to saturate his mind, heart, and soul. So as we near the end of one year in Bible reading, with just a few weeks to go, I hope your time in the Word this year is having a similar effect on you, and hopefully not only this year, but also in the years to come as you continue to read through the Word of God. <clears throat> well, next week will be week 48, I believe, and we will look at Zechariah 9 through 14, Ezra 5 and 6. We will start the book of Esther, wonderful, marvelous book, Esther 1 through 6. We'll also look at Psalms 94, 95, and 139, 1 John 5, 2nd and 3rd John. We're reading so many books this time around. It's great. The short ones you can just get right through. And we will start Revelation chapters 1 and two. So join us again next week. We've got a lot of Bible to talk about then. So we'll talk to you next week on the five-day reading plan podcast.